Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. If you have a Bible, we're going to dive into this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. If you do not have a Bible, just turn to a nearby Christian. Hopefully you'll find one in a building like this somewhere. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. If you are there, shout yes. Come on, I can't hear you, Dunedin. If you're there, shout yes. yes. If you love God, say right on. Right on. Fantastic. Romans 1 and verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men or people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the simple desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 21, just one more time, just says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile. Their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Several years ago, I was on holiday in January, and I woke up one morning to do my... Bible reading, and I had my coffee, and I had my Bible, and the kids were happy, and I turned to Romans chapter 1, and as I began to read the passage that I'm preaching from this evening, I reached Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, a scripture that I'm very familiar with. I memorized this chapter when I was about 20 years old, and I remember memorizing it. I know it well, but as I read it, this January, January summer morning, I read this verse of Scripture and something just came alive in my heart. You ever had that? If you're new to this whole church thing, it's amazing what happens when the Bible just jumps off the page and God uses it to speak into your heart. And that's what happened to me. I read this verse and something came alive. I, I became just captivated with a conviction that God was after my thoughts. I couldn't shake it. I couldn't move on from it. No matter what I did, in fact, I was playing on the sand with my kids and I just kept thinking in the back of my head, God is after my thoughts. I lay down to have my well-earned parental afternoon nap and I just kept thinking to myself, God is after my thoughts. I sat down that evening in the calm of the dusk and all I could think about was God is after my thoughts. It happened the next day. I tried to move on from my Bible reading, but I kept coming back to it. 
other passages seem to keep echoing this one central thread, that God is after my thoughts. And friends, what God did in my life, I believe could help somebody in this building this evening as God began to explain and to, to help me to understand that the God of the universe doesn't want to be only thought of in our minds when we come to a church service on a Sunday and when we maybe pause for a moment of Christian Bible reading, but God wants to be involved in my waking thoughts, in my, in my resting thoughts, in my dreaming thoughts, in my, in my reaction to hurt thoughts. God wants to be involved in every thought that I think in every moment of my day. God is after my thoughts. See, friends, if there is one thing that makes you you, one thing that separates you from everybody that is seated around you tonight, from all the people that you know, the people that are next to you, in front of you, the people who share your dorm at the hostel or at your university or the people that live with you in your flat or the people in your family, what makes you unique, what makes you you, it's not, it's not your background. Yeah. It's not your skin color. It's not the high school that you attended or the country that you originate from. What makes you unique, what makes you you is the thoughts that you think. When you think about people that have influenced you in life, someone that you can think of that has made an impression on you, somebody that inspires you, what makes them special, what makes them inspirational or an influence on your life is always gonna come back to one central thing, the way that they think. Because at the end of the day, my friends, when it comes to us as people, our thoughts are what define us as people. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 23 and verse 7, the Bible says that as, uh, as a man thinks in his heart, we've got slides for all of these, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. This verse is given to us in the context of generosity. It's actually a couple of verses in the Bible that are talking to us about hospitality. It says, if you go to the house of a stingy man and he puts out a big banquet in front of you and he's got roast lamb and he's you know, got, got some freshly baked bread and wow, that sounds good right now. And, and, and if he's got, you know, and if he's got mint sauce, oh man, oh, whoa, here we go. If he's got this beautiful banquet in front of you and he lays it out for you to eat, the Bible says if he's a stingy man, he's gonna be saying to you, eat, eat, but in his head, he's gonna be going, oh my gosh, why did I invite the youth group? I should have invited, I should have invited the 30 plus group that are still single and trying to keep minimal carbs on board. You know, I could have, if I had have invited that group, I would have had lunch for the whole week. Now I'm gonna be out of food. The Bible's literally saying that the guy is standing in front of you and he's going, eat, eat everything you want, but he's actually thinking, don't eat anything at all. And the Bible says that what makes the greatest impact on his life, on what he's doing, is not the words that come from him, but the thoughts that are in him. Our thoughts are what define us as people. Our thoughts trump our actions. This is crazy to think about that for us in our lives that we are what we think. It is what we think that decides who we are as people. Our thoughts precede our actions. You think it first and then you do it. In Matthew chapter 5, 27, 28, Jesus said, you've heard it, heard, heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
He's like, you've heard it said, you know, don't get into bed with another woman, but I'm here to tell you, if you're undressing her with your eyes and going hubba hubba ding ding, look at the legs on that little thing. The truth is that you might not have done it yet, but your thoughts are already there. And as your thoughts are today, your life will be tomorrow. Our thoughts today are our lives tomorrow. Now, guys, that's challenging, but hear it. It's also amazingly inspirational because we can change our lives tomorrow by changing our thoughts today. That's amazing, isn't it? Here's the next one. God is more interested in what I think than He's interested in what I do. I've been studying this for years, and I've got to the place in my life where I'm convinced that God is far more interested in the thoughts that we think than He is interested in the things that we could do. In fact, if you want a verse for it, Isaiah 55, verse 7, the Bible says, Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and He will have mercy on them, and to our God, and He will freely pardon. What's amazing to me about the Scripture is what's not in it. The Bible doesn't talk about what you do. It says change your way and change your thoughts, and God's going to invade your life. Why? Because the thoughts that I think are going to have a far greater impact on my life than one regrettable action that I do today. It is our thoughts, our thoughts, our thoughts are the center of our struggle with the devil. Did you know that? We are in a real fight, guys. Don't think for a moment that the devil is just some cutesy little cherub who sits on the shoulder of people who are nerdy and boring saying, do it, have more fun at the party, go for it. The devil is not a cutesy little cherub. He is a thief. He is a stealer. He's a killer. He's a destroyer. And there is a real devil that is trying to take our generation. And when we think about our struggle with the devil, 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5 tells us that though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every, help me, every, come on, Dunedin, Hamilton, Christchurch, every captive, and we make it obedient to Christ. Where our struggle with the devil starts is with every thought, and we take it captive. I love what Jillian described last week. She said they're like errant children, our thoughts, when the car doors open and they go beef a boogie in four different directions. And we take them captive. This is our principal struggle with the devil. Why? Because in this passage, we actually get a four-stage progression. If your thoughts are not taken captive and make it made obedient to Christ, your thoughts grow and they become pretensions. Pretensions pretensions. A thought pumps into your mind, and if it is not dealt with, arrested, brought into line with what Jesus wants for you and me and our lives, then the truth is it quickly becomes a pretension. John, what's a pretension? The building that I'm standing in right now has pretensions, pre-existing tensions that in the event of an earthquake would stop this building from falling down. The pretensions of your mind are the underlying substructure of your mind that allows you continuity of action and belief in the middle. Your pretensions are like assumptions. They are untested thoughts that have grown to become part of the fabric of the way that you see the world. This is good, but this can also be bad. Because if the thought doesn't line up with the way Christ wants you to think, then that pretension is not releasing you, it's holding you back. Yeah. 
God's got a plan for you, but you don't think there's any purpose for your life. God made you beautiful, but you feel like you have no unique beauty in and of yourself. And these pretensions begin to impact the way that we see ourselves, interact with the world around us. It's an underlying belief that we think is right. If pretensions aren't dealt with, guys, here's what happens. They become arguments, arguments. What's an argument? It's something that you'll fight to defend. Best example of this is when someone jumps into your life where they live a life that is totally different to the way you've lived up until now. So you have lived all your life in abject poverty and then somebody jumps into your world and they are prosperous and wealthy and they're driving a brand new car. And they tell you, you know what, if you make the right decisions, if you continue to save your money, if you have dreams that are higher than where you are, one day you could get where I am now. And most people, rather than receiving that pearl of wisdom in their life, if they have come from the bottom, will be angry rather than happy. Why? Because the presence of truth is so confrontational to the way I'm living my life. It's far easier to react out of emotion and reject it than it is to do the inner work of the soul and accept it. An argument. And an argument that isn't torn down grows, and the Bible says that fourthly, it becomes a stronghold. A stronghold. What's that? It becomes in our lives an impenetrable fortress of the mind. It becomes something so consuming, so defining, that it literally is, is causing us to live in a, in a way of thinking that is holding us in a certain pattern. This is where we get generations living in dysfunction. This is where we get repetitive cycles in our lives. This is how we can held, be held back when God has literally given us a pathway and a plan towards an amazing and abundant life that Jesus went to the cross to bring to each and every one of us. Thoughts create walls. They create barriers in our lives, which leads me to believe that the, the thickest Walls in all the world are not those made, the, the, the greatest prison cells, sorry, in all the world are not those made with the thickest walls, but those made of the most convincing thoughts. It's thoughts, it's thoughts. The thing about us guys that we've all got to stop and consider is that we're all thinking. <laughs> and girls, let me let you in on a secret. When the guy says to you and you ask him, what are you thinking about? And he says, come on, help me out. And he says, He's lying. We're all thinking. You're thinking multiple things right now. You're literally sitting there somewhere in Hamilton going, I'm really enjoying John's message tonight. I wonder where he got his shirt from. I didn't know we had a ginger preacher in our church. That's because I have the Holy Spirit, by the way. God earmarks his favorites with ginger hair. It's a sign of his special calling over only a select few. The first was King David in the Bible, and I am just a, one of many. But at the end of the day, you're thinking about what you're going to eat when you walk out of the service. You're, gonna, you're thinking about the smell of the person sitting next to you. I don't know. But at the end of the day, we're all thinking. You wake up in the morning. <laughs> There's a lot of people tapping people in this auditorium. You wake up in the morning and you start thinking. You move through the day, you keep thinking. You go to bed at night, you're still thinking. You are all thinking every conscious moment of your day. You can't stop it. Every one of us is always going through the process of thinking. But the truth is, guys, this passage of Scripture rocked my world when I read in verse 21 
of Romans chapter 1, that although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. So their thinking became futile. Their thinking became futile. They kept on thinking. We're all thinking. But the challenge became that the way that they were thinking was no longer life to them. This word futile, futile, you understand the concept. It means to be vain, empty, or foolish. In other words, they kept on thinking, but the way that they were thinking had no benefit. It had no end. It had a, it had a, a mind full of thoughts and a heart full of emotions. But at the end of the day, it wasn't taking them into God's plan and purpose. Their thinking was futile. Their thoughts were not blessing them. It was toxic to their soul, negative to their state of being. Now, it's important for everybody here in this message to get one thing clear about every single one of us. God has a purpose for our lives. There is not a person here in this message tonight that God has not given to you a unique plan and purpose. There is a reason why you're alive. There is a God who made you with a destiny in mind. There is a creator who has an intention in mind for you. There is a victor who is greater than every storm, every trial. No matter what situation is in your life, your God is greater. No matter what mess has jumped into your life, God can turn it into your message. No matter what tragedy, God can turn it into something good. And if you believe that about God, praise Him for about five seconds. Come on. It's true, isn't it? God works everything together for our good. He's always working something good. But when God isn't in His rightful place, we are still going to walk out the journey of our lives. And sometimes... When he's not in his rightful place, we end up with futile thoughts. When we think about our generation, we quickly get to a place where we're willing to admit that we are anxious, that we are fearful, that we are self-loathing when we should be self-loving, that we are worried, that we are tormented. And when we think about our challenges, the truth is we can put it all in a summary and we can say that so often in our thoughts, we are seeing the end of the world. We're not seeing God's plan. We're seeing this momentary rejection being a lifetime of loneliness. We're seeing the one test that we've failed being the end of our dreams. We're seeing the one person who walked away from us being a sentence in our lives of being ordinary and left alone. The truth is that in our thoughts so often we are seeing the end of the world. Our challenge can be, guys, that we are caught in the thought apocalypse, the thought apocalypse. This is a word I literally created to emprise what I'm trying to talk about. The word thought and apocalypse. Apo, apo, and apocalypse means to see. Calypse, the collapse, the end. In our thoughts, we are seeing the end of the world. And it could be that in our generation, the greatest challenges we are facing are challenges not of the environment, not of the body, but of the mind with depression and anxiety and despair and melancholy. We live in the most prosperous season in the history of the world. We have more opportunities than anybody has ever dreamed of having afforded to them in any other time in the history of the world. Yet for all the blessing that has come our way, we are struggling in our thoughts. Why? 
Well, verse 21 tells us exactly why. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. So the impact of that decision or that drift is that their thinking became futile. You got to hear it. They neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. They, they didn't stop. They stopped glorifying God. They stopped giving thanks to God. They stopped thinking about God. In other words, they just stopped thinking about God. And because God was gone from their thoughts, something negative began to happen. Let me put it to you in a summary. God blessed us. We forgot God. And so the thought apocalypse began. I want you to understand that we serve a God who loves us, who has placed around us a world of blessings. What Father wouldn't do the very best that He can to fill our, our lives with an abundance of good things. But friends, for all the things that God gives us, for all the beautiful environments that we are surrounded with, let us remember that our God can never be distant from the waking thoughts, from the resting thoughts, from the pondering thoughts, from the planning thoughts, from the reactionary thoughts. God is not someone to be left on the shelf. Just because we wake up and we have all we need in material possessions, it does not mean that we have any less need of the God of the universe in our daily lives. I want you to know, guys, my life was forever changed as I began to realize that God is after my thoughts, that He's after those thoughts when I wake and those thoughts when I sleep and those thoughts when I reflect and those thoughts when I work and those thoughts when I dream. And I want to give you one big rock tonight, and here it is. We can defeat the thought apocalypse by giving God our thoughts. See, the Bible says literally that their thoughts became futile. You got to hear that. Because for many of us in our lives, we've never considered that the drift of our minds could be any other way. We've never considered for a moment whether we could live a life that is truly alive, whether we could live with any other state of thinking than feeling fearful or anxious or stressed or worried or foreboding or this, this thing that it's the end of the world. We never thought of that. But the Bible says that it's not the way we were created. Their thinking became futile. It became futile. And the way that it became futile is that they lost God in their thoughts. See, friends, when we stop thinking about God, our thinking becomes futile. But when we're thinking about God, then our thoughts become filled with opportunity and potential. I don't know about you, but I love coming to church. And one of the reasons I love it is those moments as we begin to sing about the wonder and the greatness of our God. Oh my Lord, we're doing more than just lifting God up. His thoughts just start coming down. I'm giving God all the praise and saying, you are worthy. You are worthy of your name. Yes, you are worthy. You are worthy of your name. You are my helper, my maker. My rescue, my savior, my refuge, my hiding place. Come on, sing with me. The battle, the battle for all my days. 
and you stand by my side. And you stand by my side, and you stood in my place. Jesus, no other name. Only Jesus, no other name. And you can't help it. I walked into church and it was all me, myself, and I. My hairdo's not right and my shirt doesn't quite work. And I don't quite feel worthy and I hope I pass that exam. But then I stand in the presence of the one who is greater than any environmental pressure and his situation and his circumstance. And I begin to tell him how wonderful he is. And I begin to take these errant thoughts and I begin to focus them on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Does anybody out there know what I'm talking about? And suddenly, suddenly, suddenly God gets bigger and the problems get smaller. And suddenly everything begins to come into line. Everything finds its rightful place. See, friends, when we start giving God our thoughts, when we begin to presence God in our thoughts, our thoughts go from no God to God-oriented thoughts, from futile to alive, from empty to full, from vain to purposeful, from foolish to wise. See, worship, worship, listen to me, young people, worship is so much more so much more in our lives than just a song that we sing or a CD that we own or a moment in our calendar for 80 minutes once on a Sunday. Worship, worship is a mind whose thoughts are centered on Christ. You can wake up in the, in the morning and you can start worship just by going, Jesus. You can be faced with feelings that make you feel unworthy and you can just forget about it for a moment and just go, Jesus. And as you're putting Jesus at the center of these thoughts that are coming to our mind, I'm not saying victory is immediate. I'm not saying the challenges we face will automatically disappear. But I'm telling you, you're on the road to victory. You're on the pathway to freedom. When we intentionally put Jesus at the center of our thoughts. That's why for me, friends, worship is the ultimate utilization of the mind. That's what our worship is. Because our worship is about getting our minds to work the way that God created them to work. Your mind is not designed by the Creator to be futile. Your thoughts are designed to be filled with dreams and ideas and strategies, aspirations and goodwill to others. Your mind has been created by God to give birth to His will on this planet. You're powerful. Somebody needs to shout amen to that. And that's why when I give God my thoughts, I are taking my mind and I am getting it to work as God designed for it to work. I'm releasing things. Has anybody out there ever driven an old dunger car? I'm talking about, I'm talking about a heap of junk. You know what I'm talking about? The Greek word for heap of junk is dunger. That's what it is. Has anybody out there ever driven a car that is just like so decrepit, so broken down, that you look at it and you're just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Have you ever driven the kind of car that when you wake up in the morning and you're thinking about going to work that day, you're walking out to the car and as you're approaching the vehicle, you're praying the prayer of Elijah, Elisha. Where now is the Lord God of Elijah? Just one more time. You're praying the prayer of Samson. Just one more time. 
you hop behind that wheel and you're like, Lord, if you are real, when I turn this key, please start this vehicle. Anybody know about that kind of car? I'm talking about the kind of car that if you have a breakfast smoothie like I do, all you do is get the raw ingredients, put them in an airtight container, and strap it into the vehicle. Because the, the, the hiccup of the drive to your workplace is going to sufficiently mix the elements that are on the inside of it. Anybody know about that kind of car? The kind of car that you turn it and it's like, you're like, God, I will go to church every Sunday this year. I will give extra in the offerings. I will join the car parking team. And then that car, boom, comes to life, and you're like, hallelujah. And just as you're saying hallelujah, it backfires out the exhaust. Fifteen neighbors are diving behind bushes. Someone's called the armed defender squad. And it's just your, heap, your dunger, your Greek dunger, just getting going for the day. Then you're thinking in your mind, how can I get to my workplace without any stop signs, any traffic lights? You know what I'm talking about? Like it's going, and by the grace of God, may it never have to stop. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like plotting the course, you get into the office, you get there, put that car in park, turn it off, and just go, hallelujah, I made it. Has anybody, in contrast to that, ever driven a brand new car? Something German, perhaps? They just nail cars, don't they? Something that you just walk towards it, and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> you don't even need a key. You leave it in your pocket. You just touch the door, and it opens. <laughs> you sit down in that seat, and as you close the door, you're thinking, the world is such a horrible place. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> but not in here. A beautiful little voice speaks to you. Sweet smells start coming out. Your iPhone is now linked and your worshipful tunes are filling the vehicle. The car is set to an optimal temp temperature. You never let those windows down. There is no need to embrace the chaos that is outside. You're thinking to yourself, how can I take an extra lap? I want to enjoy every moment of this drive to my workplace. You put your foot down and the car automatically begins to move and you're just like, could life get any better? What is the difference between the brand new German vehicle and the Greekly described word as the dunger? The answer is that the brand new German vehicle is working in line with the manufacturer's original intention. It's designed and it's still working the way that it was designed to work. Oh, the truth is with the dunger that you might get there and possibility is kind of there, and it is, it is remotely potential that you could go somewhere, do something that you might get somewhere. But at the end of the day, it is perhaps happen chance that you would ever do something good when you are in that vehicle. When you're in one that is working as it was designed by the maker to work, then the truth is you can go anywhere, do anything. Your life is full of potential and you don't question whether you can do what is in your heart to do. And the difference between a mind that has God at the center of it. Your mind was not designed by your maker to have God somewhere distant from everything. He is the one who is in all, through all, 
who fills all, the one who floods everything with His presence. And the Bible says that in Him, in Him, we live and we move and we have our being. And when God is at the center of our thoughts, when God is not a distant memory, when God is right there at the center, then my life comes alive and it, it is possible for me in every moment, in every situation, no matter what the difficulty, to rise above every storm of my life and to do something amazing with the potential that God has given to me. And all my friends, you might walk through the valley, you might go through difficult seasons, but in the middle of every moment, the Bible says, give thanks to God, no matter what you're facing. Why? Because you're putting your mind on track with the will of Jesus. Because you're freeing your heart. You're separating the things that are around you from the God who is in you and saying, He must in me. And though there's hurt around me, God still loves me. And though there's pain in my world, God is my healer. And though there's tragedy in my circumstances, God is the one who's going to make it into something great. And even though I feel like I am in the middle of a desperate situation, God has said He'll make a way for me even when there is no way. That's why we wake and we give God our thoughts. That's why we dream and we give God our thoughts. That's why we plan and we give God our thoughts. Because when God is at the center of our thoughts, that's when our lives can be lived for the purpose that God truly has in mind for each and every one of us. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at arisechurch and at johncameronnz.